So it is um, an absolute joy and delight to be here this morning. And as I would always say, I say to you, grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus. Um, It is because of him, his life, his death, his resurrection, that I have the privilege and the joy of standing before you. And some of you know that I mean what I'm about to say. Some of the dearest people on this earth to me. Richie, you should have did that afterwards. <laughs> kind of a post-introduction, a, a post. Um, it's hard to believe um, that after almost 20 years of preaching the gospel, making disciples, training leaders, and planting revitalizing churches all throughout Philly and the Philly region, that God, in his mysterious wisdom, um, over this last year, has chosen to make it clear that our family is to be sent from Philadelphia to assist brothers and sisters in Christ and gifted, called, and qualified local church leaders to help plant, revitalize, and establish churches all along the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, So in less than two months, um, Payson and Piper and Silas and my dear wife Rachel of 21 years this month um, will be driving 3,000 miles from Philadelphia to San Jose where we will be helping establish a gospel-centered local church in the city of San Jose, which is the largest city um, of the Bay Area, and working with other local churches and leaders to help plant local churches like this um, in between San Francisco in the north of the Bay and San Jose in the south of the Bay. And to be just really direct with you and to, to waste no time because I'm here to preach God's word, one of the main reasons why I was recruited to come help these brothers and sisters do this good gospel work in one of the neediest, underchurched, and under-gospelized areas of our country is because of what God chose to do according to his grace in us and through us in the city of Philadelphia. And so part of the reason why we are going is because of you. Not to get away from you, Need a little humor to get me through this. But because of your labors, because of your sacrifices, because of your heart to be part of a local church that will release and not hold on so that the name of Jesus can be high and lifted up above all things. Um, It's humbling to recognize this, and I think it's appropriate for your pastors not to make too big of a deal of this too often, but you need to hear this. this. This neighborhood church has been a kingdom incubator to give life all over the city. I mean, you pray for these churches faithfully, but there are congregations like this in places where there was at one time little to no gospel presence. There are churches in Wissanoming and Frankfurt and Abington and Germantown in South Philly and, and places you're not even aware of because leaders were trained here and served with us here and now are in Missouri and Minnesota and Florida and all over the place. And the work of grace God did in them here was not meant to stay here but to be pushed out for the glory of God. Thank you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged that God has used you, Grace City Church, in significant ways 
that it will take the reunion in the presence of God that we will experience when we're with Jesus together to recount and marvel and be amazed at what God chose to do through your efforts for his glory. So in the 11 years I had the joy of serving here as one of your pastors, one of the most remarkable gifts in that experience was to be serving with some of your leaders. Um, Some, because you have new ones that weren't leaders when I was here. Um, And so to serve with Danny and Becky and Rob and Stephanie, um, to serve with Richie and Jenny, um, to be a part of reestablishing a church that families like Paul and Denise Thorpe had, had been their entire lives almost, to serve alongside with brothers and sisters who are no longer with us. Paul Strauss and George Siervo and Al Schrank, faithful followers of Jesus, stalwarts of the faith that I cannot wait to see receive their crowns in glory, Walter and Roberta Grump. One day we will all be together again. And I thank God for that moment. I thank God and look forward to that moment. But until then, send us away to make much of Jesus because he's worthy of it all. Would you take your Bible and go to Ephesians chapter 1? This morning, I want to preach to you a sermon entitled, A Celebration of Triune Love. And I believe because of the wisdom and the care that was revealed in the liturgy this morning, you are prepared to enjoy this text. Let us hear the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. May he add his blessing to his reading and preaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
you don't have to be a fan of popular music to be familiar with the love songs. I mean, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard the, the opining of Lionel Richie and Diana Ross singing Endless Love. And whether you're a big fan of popular music or not, it's one thing, one thing is for sure that over the last several decades, love songs have changed quite a bit. Songs have gone from celebrating the enduring and lasting nature of love, like Lionel Richie and Diana Ross, to Taylor Swift's We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. <laughs> it is sad that in popular culture, it seems that most have a cynical and sad expectation that love will not last very long. I mean, even when I was in high school, and some of you get this, we were listening to New Kids in the Block sing, I'll Be Loving You Forever. I think it's safe to say that within this cultural climate of skepticism and cynicism concerning lasting love, that this has an effect on the members of society in which this cultural climate is being experienced. And sad to say, whether it's happened actively or passively, I believe that this, this unbelief that love lasts affects us as followers of Jesus in ways we may not even be aware of it. We wonder, will the people who love us now always love us? Will the people who I'm in friendships now always be my friends Will the people in my community who seem to have my back, who say that they're for me, will they always be for me? Or am I just moments away from a betrayal? Cynicism, skepticism about the enduring nature of love invades all of our relationships. And sadly, I believe it also affects our relationship with God. Will he always love us? like he says he will. I mean, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Is that just hyperbole? Does he really mean it? Will the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit really love me and keep me and want to be around me forever? John Owen famously has said, the greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him is to not believe that he loves you. Church, are you aware of how deeply you are loved by God? Are you aware that God's love for you will never stop, will never run out, will never expire. Church, you are loved with an everlasting love. In Ephesians 1, 3-14, Paul is celebrating the, the endless love of our triune God. In fact, many scholars believe that verses 3 through 14 are the lyrics to a hymn of praise that has as its central theme the triune love of God. It's not sappy, it's, it's not sentimental, it's not shallow like you find on today's top 40 list. Rather, it is serious and 
passionate and theologically rich. It's a hymn of praise that Paul just has to get out because he is loved with an everlasting love by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So if I have one final chance to preach God's word to you before I'm gone for quite a long time, not knowing when I will be in this room again, here's what I want you to know, Grace City Church. That although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. Although we are more undeserving than we care to admit, we are more loved than we dare to imagine. And when we live in the awareness of this love, we will grow in the assurance of our faith. We will be moved to worshipful awe and wonder, and we will be compelled to love him back in celebration of his matchless glory. So, so to move us in that amiable direction, let's consider four characteristics of God's love from this hymn of triune praise. And as is my habit, let me give you those four points ahead of time because I'm sure that by the time we get to the end, I will be in a mad dash to finish this sermon. First, God's love is triune in its expression. Second, abundant in its experience. Third, undeserved in its extension. And finally, doxological in its end. First, God's love is triune in its expression. In this song, Paul wants us to go from a one-dimensional view of God's love to a multi-dimensional view of God's love. He wants us to be able to go, he wants to be able to move from saying, I am loved by God in general, to say, I am loved by the Trinity in particular. I am loved by the Father. I am loved by the Son. I am loved by the Holy Spirit. I am loved and blessed by the Trinity. God's love, you've probably noticed in this hymn that I read a few moments ago, is expressed in relationship to who he is as triune. Verses 3 through 14 very carefully draw our attention to what our attention has been drawn to all throughout our gathering this morning, that the one true God exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And what Paul wants us to celebrate is that this triune God loves us in particular ways in all its triune fullness. United in love to love us. We are loved by the Father. We are loved by the Son. We are loved by the Holy Spirit. We are loved. You are loved by the Trinity. Now, it doesn't take a theological rocket scientist to know that the word Trinity doesn't show up in our Bibles. However, the doctrine of the Trinity is clearly developed and derived from two groupings of texts found all over the Scriptures. First, two, there are texts of Scripture that teach us that God is one. Texts that clearly teach what we would call monotheism. Texts like Deuteronomy 6. Verse 4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then there are also a second grouping of texts in Scripture that teach that there are three persons 
who are the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are even texts of Scripture that have the three persons of the triune Godhead at the same place at the same time. For instance, at the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. After Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon him in power in the form of a dove. And then there's the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And from that place of baptism, Jesus enters into testing and temptation in the wilderness from the devil. And then after passing the test on our behalf. He, he lives the life we do not, cannot live, and he gives foretastes of the kingdom that is to come through his miracles, and then he gives his life to die in our place on the cross. He, he rises from the dead, and then he gathers his little church, and he commissions them in Matthew 28 and says, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then one of my favorite Trinitarian texts, the benediction of 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that says the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God implied the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not three expressions or three modes of the one God, but three distinct persons who are God. Same in essence, distinct in person, co-equal in power and glory. In the words of another timeless 4th century creed, the Athanasian creed, we read the following. We worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co eternal. Makes a lot of sense, right? Easy to get. No, actually, there's a word that we use in the theological world to describe the Trinity. Incomprehensible. The Trinity gives us a royal Charlie horse in the brain. Ultimately, the Trinity is a glorious mystery. A mystery we bow before because we believe in the authority of the Word of God. And so the Trinity that I've been speaking of is referred to, alluded to, all in one place here in verse 3. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The reference to the Father in verse 3 is obvious. The reference to the Son in verse 3 is also obvious. But the reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 3 is not as obvious, and I'm not trying to stretch this because he shows up in the hymn a little later, but he's there. (laughs) It's found in the phrase spiritual blessing. That word spiritual can either mean spiritual as opposed to material, or it can mean that which comes from the Spirit. Most scholars agree that the adjective spiritual here is referring to the blessing that comes from the Spirit. Australian theologian Peter O'Brien notes here the adjective spiritual means pertaining to or belonging to the Spirit. Again, what makes this the most probable interpretation are the direct references to the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. What's the point, Ian? Here's the point. Paul is celebrating 
in this opening line of this hymn of praise that all the blessings of God come from the loving heart of God. All the blessings of God come to us freely from the heart of God the Father, through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit. God loves us and blesses us as Trinity. So with this in view, verse 3 is informing us that the blessings of the triune God come to us. This is the way they come to us. This is the way they all come to us. They come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. The Father is the origin of the blessing. Jesus provides the substance of the blessing. And the Holy Spirit is the means by which the blessing is received. What's this mean? It means lots of things, but here's what it means for us this morning. You're loved by the Trinity. You are loved and blessed by God the Father, through God the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Now let me illustrate this imperfectly. Let me note something here. This is not an illustration about the nature of the Trinity. Why would I not dare to illustrate the nature of the Trinity? Because most who did in church history were considered heretics. And I'm not in the mood to be a heretic on my last Sunday here in a while. Um, but let me, let me give an illustration about the function of the Trinity, how the Trinity operates, how, how all God's blessings come to us from the Father, through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not too close to Christmas, but if you are, if you are a Christmas shopper in the modern age, you've probably done a lot of your Christmas shopping this last year through Amazon. How many, how many of you ever ordered a gift or anything from Amazon? Okay. The rest of you probably will at some point because there's probably going to be no other way to buy anything. But, but for sake of illustration, let's just say that I'm going to get you a gift and I'm going to get it. I'm going to order it from Amazon. So here's the way it works. I select the gift. I purchase it through Amazon. They, they fulfill the order and then they deliver it to you through, let's just say, UPS. So I choose the gift, Amazon fulfills the gift, and UPS delivers the gift. And so you're going to get a knock on your door, and they hand you this gift. Here's the question. Has that gift come from me? Has that gift come from Amazon? Or has that gift come from the UPS delivery man? The answer is yes. That gift has come to you from me through Amazon by UPS. In a very similar way, what Paul is saying here is that all the blessings of God, the blessings of the triune Godhead, come to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Every blessing, Paul says, every spiritual blessing comes to us this way. In other words, it's not that the Father, it's not that, that, that the Father thinks one way and the Son thinks another way and the, and the Holy Spirit thinks another way and, and, and sometimes it's the Spirit and sometimes it's the Son and sometimes it's the Father. No, no, Paul says here, and this triune hymn of praise, when we consider, when we evaluate, when we take inventory of the providence of God, as we take inventory on the activity of God, the triune Godhead is always working in concert with one another to bless his world and to bless his church from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. What's the point? You are loved by the triune Godhead. The Father is the origin of all God's blessing. Jesus provides the substance of all God's blessing. And the Spirit 
is the means by which we receive all God's blessing. God's love is Trinitarian in its expression. Second, God's love is abundant in its experience. So what does it look like to be loved and blessed by the triune God? This hymn gives us multiple categories to revel in. It's not exhaustive, but nonetheless, it is quite the jaw-dropping list and inventory of God's blessing. And so we've already sung these. I've already read these. And let's just take a little bit of time to, to just dwell in these. This is how you are loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. First, you are chosen. Look at verse 3. He, that's the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This is the blessing of election. The triune God The love of the triune God looks like the Father thinking about you before you were even created and choosing for you to benefit from the accomplishments of the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you have been chosen before the foundation of the world just as the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. Before a single molecule of the material universe came into existence. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit thought about you, planned to create you, planned to bless you, and intentionally set his redemptive love upon your life. What's this mean? You are loved by the triune God. You're chosen. Notice another one of these blessings. You are adopted. Verses five and six, in love, he, that's the father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And so this blessing of, the, of adoption, again, comes to us from the father and through the son and by the Holy Spirit. So, so the love of the triune God looks like the father welcoming you into his spiritual family. That means as sons and daughters, you have full family privileges, which include having God as your father. Jesus as your elder brother and the Holy Spirit as your crazy uncle. Just kidding. (laughs) Having the Holy Spirit to assure you that even though you don't feel like you deserve it, you belong. It's the Spirit that causes your heart to be assured that you belong to the family of God whereby you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, this is my family. This also means that other followers of Jesus, the people who are sitting around you, are your brothers and sisters. They are your spiritual family. And one day, you will be united with all the sons and daughters of God from all time in heaven and on earth at the grand family reunion of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And we will be together as one grand, diverse, innumerable family of God from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation forever. What's this mean? It means that you are loved by God. You are redeemed. Another blessing, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption. 
This creates imagery for us to consider that when God chose you and adopted you, he saw you as a slave to sin. Like he saw Israel in Egypt, in bondage under the harsh, tyrannical leadership of Pharaoh. He saw you, he saw us, slaves to sin. And in his mercy, he paid the price, the ransom, to set you free from your, save, from your slavery to sin when Jesus Christ, your elder brother, left heaven and came to earth on a rescue mission to set you free. What's this mean? It means that you are loved by the Father who sent the Son in the power of the Spirit to redeem you from your bondage. Oh, there's more. We are forgiven. Look at verse 7 again. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The word trespass is another word that creates imagery. God drew a line, a clear line that we were not meant to cross. It's called his law. And we were called to, to love and worship him alone and to, to honor him and never take his name in vain and, and, to, and to set aside a day where we worship him and are, and are formed by our relationship to him and, and to treat and to love our neighbor as ourselves by not, by not lying or murdering or committing adultery or, or stealing or coveting. The line was clear. And we all crossed the line. And the price for crossing that line, we are told, is death. Because we all cross the line. We all deserve to be punished for our sins. Because we cross the line, we all deserve to be separated from God forever. Because we cross the line, we deserve to endure the wrath of God now and forever. Because sin against an infinite being deserves infinite punishment. We deserve hell forever. But Jesus hung on that cross in our place and absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf so that every single one of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God separated your sins from you and the sin that would once keep you from the presence of God, now washed away, welcomes you, fully justified, holy, and blameless in the presence of God. Your shame is covered. Your guilt is gone. Your debt canceled. Your sins forgiven. What's this mean? Oh, church, it means this. You are loved by the triune God. But wait, there's more. <laughs> we are included. Blessings that are often overlooked in this high triune hymn of praise. Look at verses 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Things in heaven and things on earth. This is talking about the renewal of all things. The Father has a plan, Paul exclaims, to unite all things in Christ. So if the plan 
is to unite all things. What that means is that at this present moment, they're not united. They are fractured. They are broken. But the Father has a plan to take the broken pieces of this fallen, sin-cursed world and our fallen, sin-cursed lives and put them back together. What's this mean? It means that Jesus will return and make all things new. There's coming a day, as Tolkien said so beautifully in The Lord of the Rings, there's coming a day when everything sad will be untrue. Everything broken will be mended. No more disease, no more destruction, no more devil, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more anything awful. I can't wait. I cannot wait. And here's Paul's point. You've been included in that plan. You've been included. I know. There, there are chairs in this room that are no longer filled because people are in God's presence right now. And we walked with them through suffering. And we watched them come to the end of life in this world. And I know there are people in this room and there are people in my life and there are people in my family that have experienced and continue to experience disease and sickness and brokenness. And my friends, here's the good news of Jesus Christ. You've been included in the plan for all of that to go away. You've not only been included in that plan for the end, you've also been included in that plan as the means toward that end. As we serve as ministers of the new covenant, we have the opportunity to be agents of the kingdom of God and be the means through which Jesus is taking history in the direction of making all things new. As we serve in his name, as we show mercy in his name, as we pursue justice in his name, as we make disciples in his name, as we care with compassion for those who are broken and cursed and fractured around us, we are actually being agents of the kingdom of God, moving us closer and closer to the day when everything will be made right when Jesus returns. You've been included. It's like we're here, church, to give little foretastes of the future in the present, like those, those little free samples at Sam's Club. You know, talk about things that will be go away. COVID will go away, Amen. And one of, the, one, of the, one of the kind of trite, not so serious effects of the, of the pandemic was Sam stopped serving free samples. How dare they? I mean, I would walk in that place and I couldn't wait to see the first toothpick forest, you know? Okay, get a little sample of that. And what do you, when you take a sample, what's the sample supposed to do? The sample's supposed to whet your appetite for the whole thing, right? That's the church. As you serve Jesus in love here in Northeast Philadelphia and beyond, as you represent him and love your neighbor as yourself, you're giving samples of what is to come when the fullness of the kingdom breaks through when Jesus Christ returns and makes everything right again. Oh, you're included in that. You're loved by the triune God. But wait, there's more. 
you're converted. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. Here's how you are loved by the triune God. God the Father, by the Holy Spirit, sent someone to you to verbally communicate the good news of Jesus, and you heard it with your ears. Maybe as young as a child in your home growing up. Maybe like I did, through the faithful witness of a church in Junietta Park at the corner of Cain Lake Homing Street's Bethel Chapel Church. I still remember for the first time hearing the good news of Jesus from someone's mouth entering into my ears. But that wasn't enough to just hear the gospel with my ears. I needed the Holy Spirit to take that verbal word and make my dead heart alive so that I would respond to that word with faith and repentance. Here's how loved you are by God. You were, Jesus sent someone to you that you would hear the good news of Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you believed. You were converted. You changed the way you thought about your sin. You changed the way you thought about God. You changed the way you thought about that cross and you believed. What's this mean? It means that you are loved by the triune God. One more. You're sealed. Look at verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Church, you are not only saved, you are secure. This is the blessing of perseverance that comes to us from the Father and through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. I've got good news for you. If you have genuinely been regenerated and born again, if you've genuinely placed your faith and trust in the merits of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will make it to the end. Oh, this is a theme that I've all, I heard for years here as Rob would lead us in worship. It's not just that Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. No, Jesus right now is leading us all the way home. You will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) Heaven will be your home until it becomes the new heavens and the new earth. You will enjoy a glorious inheritance church. It will be worth it all when you see Jesus. Not because you have what it takes to make it, but because you have the Spirit of God within you. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit who guarantees that you will make it. No one will snatch you from the Father's hand. The Holy Spirit guarantees it. Once His, always His Once saved, always persevering. You know what this means? You are loved by the triune God. (laughs) What an inventory. It's taken up the most of most of my sermon. Chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, included, converted, and sealed by the Father through the Son. And by the Holy Spirit. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul? What wondrous love is this? Oh, church, God's love is abundant 
in experience. And I promise these last two points are brief. Third, notice what makes this abundant love so mind-blowing is that it is undeserved in its extension. The love of our triune God is extended to undeserving sinners. This is implied all throughout this hymn. For instance, in verse 3, God chose you not because you were holy and blameless. He chose you that you would become holy and blameless. What's this mean? That when he chose you, you were guilty and condemned. The love of the triune God comes to undeserving, guilty sinners. Unearned. Undeserved. You know what we call this church? It's in your name. Grace. Grace. We who deserve to be rejected are chosen. We who deserve to be disowned are adopted. We who deserve to be condemned are forgiven. We who deserve to be excluded are included. We who deserve to, be, to perish are protected. This is what makes God's love even more amazing than the blessings themselves. It's this, that although we are, we are more undeserving than we care to admit, we are more loved by his grace than we dare to imagine. One more thing worth pointing out on this point is that the outpouring of this undeserved love, this, this gracious blessing, was, is, and continues to be the triune God's delight. In other words, God loves to love you. How do we know this? Verse 5 literally reads, according to the pleasure of his will. Now this is a little late in the sermon to do, a, do more of a translation note here, but it's important to, to note for this purpose. In verses 5, 9, and 11, the ESV, which I love and preach from regularly, translate three, translates three different Greek words all the same as purpose. Although they, they fit in the same translatable range, they do have a bit of a nuanced difference. And I think the distinction and the nuance is important. In verse 5, the word purpose is the Greek word eudokia. It's not talking about just the determination of a decision, but the delight in making a decision. That's why the NIV, the KJV, and the NASB all translate this verse, the pleasure of his will. Why is that important? Because I think this is what Paul is, is praising God about. He's highlighting the fact that God has chosen to love undeserving sinners like you and me, and it's his delight to do so. In other words, God loves to love us. We are not a bother. He does not simply tolerate us. He delights in us. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delight in blessing undeserved sinners like you and me. Now here's a cruel question to ask on a Sunday. How many of you like Chick-fil-A? That was a rhetorical question. Uh -huh. I mean, God's blessing to the fast food industry, amen? Right? And, you know, I, I always enjoy Chick-fil-A, but it wasn't until Woody Chipman introduced me to the secret sauce. 
the honey roasted barbecue sauce, you introduced that to me a dec- over a decade ago, Woody, and my life's been different ever since. Um, <laughs> you've probably noticed, if it's a well-trained Chick-fil-A employee, when you say thank you, what's their response? My pleasure. Thank you for the chicken sandwich. My pleasure. I mean, they're trained. It's, it's almost a little robotic. Thank you for the sandwich. My pleasure. Thank you for the sweet tea. My pleasure. Thank you for the waffle fries. My pleasure. You're ugly. My pleasure. I mean, I just... <laughs> when we come before God, thanking him for all the ways he loves us, hear him say, church, my pleasure. Thank you for choosing me, my pleasure. Thank you for adopting me, my pleasure. Thank you for redeeming me and forgiving me and including me and converting me and sealing me. Hear the Father, Son, and Spirit say over you, my pleasure. We used to joke around in my youth group, and actually, uh, we used to, you know, we used to hear, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. So one of our, like, one of our busts on each other was, God loves everyone. He only likes you. <laughs> That's not true. God does not simply tolerate you. God is not just tapping his foot saying, would you just get your act together? By the grace of God, he delights in you as his son and daughter. What Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah proclaimed, even under the old covenant continues to be true as its final fulfillment is found in how God sees us through the lens of his son's righteousness and blood on our behalf. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. For those of your parents, you remember singing over your children. How much you delighted in them and loved them even though they messed the diaper. Even though your children made messes, it never stopped you from loving and delighting in them, did it? In the same way, we we definitely, as undeserving sinners, make our messes. And we fail him regularly. As we confessed in our liturgy this morning, we don't love him like we ought. We don't do what we ought to do, and we often don't do what we should do. He loves us all the more. Amazing love. It is his delight to do this. Why? Well, notice lastly, God's love is doxological in its end. Look at verse 12. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. The word glory there in the original language is doxa, where we get the word doxology, and we sang the historic doxology this morning. These are words that ascribe or make much of the glory of God. And the words so that, those words so that in verse 12 are a statement of purpose or end. In other words, here is the end for which the triune God has set his love upon us. Here is the end for which God has chosen us and redeemed us and forgiven us and adopted us and converted us and included us and sealed us to this end so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Even though we are loved with an everlasting love, it's not about us. 
It's about the glory of God. We've been loved like this so that our lives would be a living doxology bringing praise to the triune God. Oh, this is repeated three times in just seven verses. Verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. Again in verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And then again in verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So what do we do in response to this triune love? Together, church, we covenant together to live lives that serve as a doxology of praise to the one who loves us and will never let us go. This was certainly on the mind of Charles Wesley when he penned the words of the hymn, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love. How can it be? What a song. What a God. What an amazing love. God's love is triune in its expression, abundant in its experience, undeserved in its extension, doxological in its end. Oh, church, although we are more undeserving than we care to admit. We are more loved than we dare to imagine. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for so loving the world that you sent your one and only son who in the power of the Holy Spirit lived the life we could not live, died the death that we should die, and rose triumphantly from the dead, that we who have turned from our sins and have trusted in him have been forgiven all our sins, have had our shame completely covered, and have had all of our guilt totally removed. We thank you, Father, that this amazing love makes us your sons and daughters. And one day, when our work and the power of the Holy Spirit in this life is through, we will dwell in your presence forever and ever. Thank you for this hymn of triune praise inspired by your spirit through the Apostle Paul. And I pray that his song would be not only the church's song, but would continue to be our song each and every day of our lives. Thank you for your amazing love. May we be more aware of it, more assured by it, more compelled to go and make a big deal about it 
In Jesus' name, amen.